Good morning, everyone. This morning, the reading is coming from Ephesians 1, and it's starting at verse 15 to 23. And the heading is Thanksgiving and Prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Verse 23 and last. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Thank you, Monica. So, friends, I'm going to start by praying. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I give unstoppable thanks for my sisters and brothers here today. I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, you, so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Have a look round. Find someone in the congregation, someone you know or someone you don't know, and we're going to pray for that person. So uh, look around. If it's your first time here, that's okay. You can find like the back of someone's head or someone's red top. And we are going to pray together. 
this particular prayer for that person. Oh, some of you are moving, that's fine. You can also just stay where you are and like look across, uh, find someone near you. Uh, and you can, fill it, you can fill in the blank. So where it says, I give thanks for X, you can either give the name or you know it, but if you don't know it, you can be like, oh, that person in the yellow mask or the green T-shirt or whatever. Okay, let's pray together. Pray out loud with me. Almighty God. Oh, let me find someone. Okay. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks for, for that person over there. <laughs> I pray that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you more and more. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of Rob's heart in order that he may know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for we who believe. All right, find someone else. We're going to do it again. Find a different person. Okay, find a person over the room. Yeah, okay, we're going to pray it again. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks. I pray that you would give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that he may know you more and more. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of Cozy's heart in order that he may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparably great power for we who believe. One more time, one more time. I know, you're a bit uncomfortable. It's all right, we're going to carry on. One more person, one more person. Find someone you don't know maybe this time, and then you can just like pray for the person with the you know, green hat or whatever find someone you don't know all right let's pray almighty god father of our lord jesus christ i give thanks for that gentleman over there i pray that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know you more and more i pray that you would enlighten the eyes of their heart in order that they may know the hope to which you've called us the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for we who believe. Amen. Amen. I mean, honestly, I I would carry on doing that all morning and I don't think it would be wasted time, my friends. We have got some praying to do and we've got some growing to do. We've got some discerning. We've got some listening to do together for us to be learning how to reconnect with the power of Jesus through prayer. And there's no greater teacher where, uh, to, to teach us how to pray for our church family than Paul, Paul the pastor. Paul who writes to the, to the church family in Ephesus and teaches them how to pray. Uh, the great thing about being a church is that by definition, we are under the head who is Jesus Christ. And that is where our hope has always lain and will always lie. In Jesus, who died the death that all our sins deserved, who rose again, beating back the power of sin and death, and who poured and pours his life-giving spirit into his church in every new generation, in every season. That's where our hope lies. That's where our hope has always lain as a church. And Paul's prayer is not that the church would receive these things. They already have, but they may know them. 
that they might know all that God has already done for them in Christ, all that he has won for us, the hope, the freedom, the new life, that we might grasp it, not just with our heads, not even just with our hearts, but with our lives. It's a, it's a Hebrew understanding that we don't just understand kind of intellectually, intellectually. We don't even just understand it emotionally, but we throw our lives onto this hope. Last year, I went on a fairly terrifying uh, rope course in an old slate mine in the Lake District with my, my, uh, two of my nephews who were then 10 and 12. And we, were, uh, we started with a training how to attach ourselves to the safety line and it was explained how many safety measures were in place. And so in my head, totally understood that we were safe. And then my brother went first and then my 12-year-old nephew went and I was cheering them on understanding with my whole heart that they were safe. And then it came to be my turn. And there's a point, isn't there, in which you just have to take that head knowledge and that heart knowledge and actually put your life into it. Actually clip onto the rope and lean onto it as though it's going to hold you. And it does. I asked, um, I asked my family if they could send me some pictures to remind me. And my brother sent me this one. Um, which is of a very steep cliff, and just to help his helpful annotation, say we were there on that very steep cliff. There comes a point when we have to actually trust that there is enough in Jesus to sustain us, actually trust Jesus' power to forgive, because he will, actually trust God's promise that he is making all things new, because he is, actually trust and believe that the spirit of God is alive in we who believe, because he is. And that's what Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. It's a, it's a functional faith in Jesus, giving up security, venturing into unknown territories, new ways of doing life, leaning on this rope. One commentary compares that to what they call functional atheism, trusting in our heads, in our thoughts, and even our hearts, in our emotions, but actually not leaning with our lives on the rope. So I think we can take hold of this in a really practical, specific way at this time. When we're not alone in finding the after-lockdown journey unsteady, when we're going to be navigating a period, discerning the next steps as a church, here's where we get to experience what it's like to lean on the rope. And I am convinced that it's because of who we follow, the crucified and resurrected Jesus, we can see this time not as a time when we have to wait and wonder and maybe even worry, but we get to learn more. We get to go deeper. We get to learn in experience what it's like to attach ourselves to the rope of his resurrection, to lean on the promise of his presence, and together, as we see this prayer answered that we've just prayed for each other, together believe that we can receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know him better. We can grow in all these ways in this time, in functional faith, faith that asks for, expects, and counts on the active presence, voice, provision, and empowering of God just going to say a little bit about um, the three specific things that, um, that Paul uh, teaches the church in Ephesus to pray, that I'd really love us to just inhabit these prayers. And the hope, inheritance, and then a little, I'm going to say a little bit more about power. So the hope to which we are called, our vocation is to hope. We are given a vocation to hope. We are followers of a saviour who beat death. That is our vocation. We've been given the promise of a future when we will see him on his throne, the coming king who one day will, we will see him put everything under his feet, all rule and authority, power and dominion. Every false claim to power. 
every wrongly appropriated rule, all foolishly exercised authority, every sinfully asserted dominion, none of these will last. And actually the good rulers and authorities too are also going to bow their knee one day to Jesus. The best leaders are going to bow their knee one day to Jesus. And Paul's prayer for Jesus' followers in Ephesus, in a, pre- in a place where power was, u- was abused and misused, sometimes in similar ways to things that we see today and sometimes in different ways to things that we see today. His prayer was that the saints would know the hope to which they were called, that this was not the end of their story, that they could hold on in trust because Jesus will one day bring all of this, uh, show, he, will, he will show that he's brought all of this under his feet, that we will together worship King Jesus across the whole of, uh, the whole of his creation. That was the first prayer, that they would know that there is a hope, that there is more, that there is a king who one day will come in glory and we'll see him face to face. Do we know that? Do we know it functionally? Do we choose to live in it? And he prayed that they would know the riches of their inheritance in the saints. Did you notice that bit? Uh, It's verse uh, 18. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We're adoptive children and heirs of God's riches. And our inheritance is to be received in his holy people, among the church, with all the saints. As one commentator put it, our inheritance isn't a private party. It's a glorious shared gift. See how Paul begins his prayer for the church here. He, br- he begins it with thanks. I've not stopped giving thanks for you. We've prayed around. Let's look around one more time. Have a look round. We receive the riches of our inheritance as God's children in this context, among the saints, and actually only in this context, in the context of a worldwide family and a local church family, a family, a church family throughout history, saints through the ages and around, around the world. This is how we receive the inheritance. The visions of inheritance in the Bible are communal. Feasts and multitudes and families. Apart from one picture which Jesus painted of an older brother who chose to leave himself outside on his own because his father was too forgiving for his liking. The visions of inheritance are communal. A friend of mine once said to me, if if in my father's house are many rooms, that also means there are many roommates. We know from the teaching of the Bible that this didn't come any more naturally or easily to the church, to the early church, than it does to us. The rest of this letter, and by the way, do take, uh, there are these uh, copies of the, the whole of this letter at the back. We're going to continue to be going throughout this Bible for the next few weeks. Uh, and do read along and pray along because the rest of this letter is so rich in teaching us what it means to receive the riches of his, of his inheritance in his holy people with one another. It's so full of how they needed to learn and practice and work at this. As Jonathan's already quoted, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And one practice uh, that we, uh, we try to encourage people locally here is to, is to be in a small group where your relationships are such that you know somebody and you pray with them and together you learn the riches of your glorious inheritance because you're reading it and you're, in, you're, in, you're learning it together with your heart, head and your heart and your lives. Um, if you're already in a small group, um, 
I'm sure you, uh, you would testify to what it means to be in a small group of Christians meeting together. If you're not, we would love to hook you in with one. There are a load of existing small groups already out there. Maybe you just want to grab a couple of friends and commit to reading the book of Ephesians for the next few weeks together. Form your own little pod of people, even if it's just for a short time, to be together, to lean head and heart and hands into the promises of God. And finally, Paul prayed that the church might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I think of some images of church that might be in our heads when we also think of the word power. I wonder if you've got images in your head as well. Giant gilded domes might look like a powerful church. An amazing social media presence. Millions of hits on YouTube. Access to politicians or influencers. Or Christian brothers and sisters, even today, being martyred because they hold on to their faith in Jesus, for example, in Afghanistan. What does it look like to be a church that has grown in God's power? I should say, it would be really easy to get the impression that I think a bunch of those things are automatically bad and wrong. And I I don't necessarily, but I do know that sadly, historically, when Jesus' church has found itself closely allied with positions of earthly power, it's often failed to recall what God's power is like. A Lord who beat death and sin by going innocently to a shameful cross and who was raised to life with scars on his hands. Paul names some other powers in the context of Jesus ruling over them all. He says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, there is earthly power and there are spiritual powers. They will attempt to draw us and tempt us and lure us and sometimes we will find ourselves giving in to them. But Jesus is over all. Last year I was um, walking somewhere on my own and praying and I came across a scene in front of me with a power station that I could see, not very attractive, and a glorious oak tree. And I felt that God asked me in that moment, what kind of power are you seeking? And it was, it was a helpful moment for me, but in case that makes me sound like I'm really holy, I've actually realized that was entirely the wrong way of, uh, of understanding it. That's, I shouldn't have needed a tree or a power station to show me what God's power looks like, the kind of power I should be seeking. Paul doesn't say God's power is a bit like a tree or a bit more like a power station. He says exactly what the model of power is like, that we pray that God would give his church that power, he says, is, is the same, not as a tree, a, a tree or an, a power station, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God's power isn't a tree, it's not a power station, it's resurrection power. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us? I'd love, I'd love to invite you to just keep on dreaming with that image and keep talking about it in your coffee after the service. But here's a few thoughts that I had. It looks like a power that can work in situations that seem hopeless. It looks like a power that defies any other explanation. It's seismic. It shakes what seems unshakable. It transforms what seems uh, impossible. Physical, spiritual, earthly hopelessness are overcome by this power. And I pray that we as a church would know this power, not just with our heads or our hearts, but with our lives. It looks like a bruised and battered body being given strength to live again. It looks like the injustice of the empire, the Roman Empire, not having the final word. 
It looks like earthly and spiritual authorities defied and overcome by the death-defying love of the Father. I pray that we would know this, not just with our heads and hearts, but with our lives. And it looks mysterious, you know? There aren't any paintings or pictures of the very moment. Well, I I don't know, there might be paintings, but there's no photographs of the very moment when God's life-giving spirit breathes into Jesus' body again. Nobody was in the tomb with him when he was resurrected, were they? No human saw the moment of Jesus' resurrection. They saw the outcome, they saw the aftermath, but they didn't see the moment. It was kind of weirdly secret. It's mysterious. No human being has the blueprint. No human being has the total understanding of God's power. That's one of the reasons why we need each other, friends. We all need one another to understand God's power better. It's entirely God's power. It's his initiative. It's his, uh, it's his timing. It's his goodness that raises Jesus from the dead. No human made it happen by the right formula or the right prayer or the right level of faith. It's entirely God's power and not ours. And so we can't, and here's where I'm going to land, we can't lay claim to God's power without submitting to his authority. The commentator has said that when we pray for the Holy Spirit, we can't only pray for a bit of him because he's indivisible, he's a person. We can only have the whole of him. And this writer says that we are the disintegrated ones whom Christ is gradually making whole. So the question that we should be asking is not can we have the more of the Holy Spirit, but will we give him more of ourselves? Because that, I believe, is how we can then receive God's power, because we receive under his authority. How much of ourselves are we willing to give over to God's undivided power in his Holy Spirit? Jesus taking the lead in our households, in our finances, in our relationships, in our family, in our work, in who sits around our table, in how we spend our time, in what we do with our phones, laying down our lives even like the Afghan church, to death. Then, then what will we see? We will see how God's power is made perfect in our weakness. The message translation puts it like this. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised from death and sat and set him God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe everything from galaxies to governments no name and no power exempt from his rule and not just for the time being but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of this, all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. This is our prayer for all saints Peckham. Not just for those of us that are in the building and those of us watching at home, but that we would be a place where God's power is made perfect in order that we would see God's kingdom come in our neighborhood and in our workplaces and in our places of study and in the streets around us. That's why we're asking for this power to come. Because only Jesus can do that. So this is our prayer for All Saints Peckham and we make it kneeling before Jesus submitting our choices to him, submitting our ways to him. So um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to end, um, I'm going to wrap up with the prayer with which we began. Um, and I'm going to invite you, if you're able, um, to kneel. Some of you know that I just, I find it really helpful to, to change our posture sometimes. And I, I think this, because I'm inviting us to submit ourselves to God, I'm going to invite us, if we're able, some of us are not able, that's fine, to kneel.
Let's take a moment in quietness to submit ourselves to God. Maybe there are parts of your life that you are aware are not fully submitted. And in a quiet moment, you can just do that before God. And it's so good to know that when we submit our whole selves, God gives us his whole self. What an exchange. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we give over those parts of ourselves which we've kept roped off from you.